to Readers and Writers with your hosts, James Hill and Athena Paris of Rock Hill Publishing, and I am Amy Ravichandran, and today we're talking about the cornerstone of publishing. And so, James, what exactly does that mean? Because I was reading it, it's a title that you, you know I've created for this segment, but I'm not 100% sure on what that means. So can you tell us what that means? The cornerstone of, of publishing house is what do they do? What is their business? And that means what genres do they publish? How do they market those, those authors? Uh, it's actually the business of the publishing house itself. And in that, we know books as being art. You know, we, we, we understand that it's, it's artist's work. But behind the artist's work is the business end of it. And that's the publishing house end of it. So to understand what the business of that art is, it's like, are they science fiction writers? Are they fantasy writers? Are they romance writers? Are they biographers? Because each one of those genres has a different way of marketing. It speaks to a different audience. And as a publishing house, you have to know that audience, you have to know that market, you have to know that what goes into those genres. What is a science fiction? You know, and there's a whole lot of crossover nowadays where I'll give you an example, Star Wars. Everybody mm -hmm. said, oh, Star Wars is a science fiction. But no, actually it's a fantasy. It has a lot of science in it and they talk and they have lasers and spaceship and things like that. But at the heart of the story, the story is a fantasy because they rely on this mythical power that is innate in their world. And that gives rise to everything else that they do. So that's fantasy. I like that. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly how it works. Science fiction and uh, um, it's knowing the genres and knowing how to mix them as well. And in... Uh, uh, in publishing, you have to know what the um, the in things are sometimes to uh, guide your writers to uh, be able to get into that market. Because if you way out there, uh, writing works two ways. Either you have to be absolutely like everybody else, or you have to be absolutely the opposite of everybody else. And those are the two things that actually sometimes make it. it it's so alike, but uh, ingenious and unique that you stand out amongst everybody or so completely different that it just says, wow, about uh, the work. And that is what writing is about. And that is why so many uh, thousands of writers can't rise above everybody else because there's too much of the same. So you have to do the same, but to give it a unique twist, or you have to be completely different from everybody else. And that's what the stories that actually make it. And the publishing houses understand this. And that's when they react, when they see those works, that this is the one, mm -hmm. you see? So that is how it works. Yeah, well, the so idea of the Ahead, well, what is ahead, your opinion on creating your own genre? Is that is that a thing? Like, you know, what if, let's just say, I mean, I haven't written a book, but let's just say that I feel, you know, is that, like, let's just say I write sci-fi, but then it has, like, I don't know, some alien or space twist or whatever. Would you create your own genre or would it 
You just oh, cross-read it. Amy, you have to think about this. You walk into a bookstore. Mm -hmm. Show me the shelf where your book goes. Okay. I, I would put it like this. Uh, you're writing, you're creating your own genre, but mm -hmm. it's not really your own genre. It's a subgenre. Like, okay. like uh, steampunk, okay? They take the science fiction angle, but they take it at the turn of the century type of thing. So they started playing off of the Frankenstein type of the ability. So it was a, a Victorian era. Okay. And so that created a new genre in the science fiction because it was still science fiction in that they were talking about the science of steam and you know the new technology at the time. But remember, that was technology at that time. They went mm -hmm. from horse and animal to mechanical. To steam. cogs and wheels, yes. Yeah. So, oh. and by writing into that genre and making your story into that world, they create, or you would create, a new subgenre in fiction. Right. So sometimes, okay. sometimes the publishing house has to be able to change and see what's coming. Like we look at the at the landscape and we look at what's selling now, but we can't really publish to what's actually selling right now. We have to have vision to yes. see what's coming and see. Okay, do I have something that's going to speak to an audience? in a year, two years, three years from now, because it takes that long to put out a book. So your book, and people, and I always tell writers, it, don't write for what's popular now. You know, mm -hmm. don't try to fit into what's going on, what's the big thing now, because by the time your book comes out, it may not be what's popular. And right. a lot of publishing houses, they, they do, they draw and they drive that particular lane, because that's their niche. They get into a niche of vampires, Oh, wow, vampires are big. And so they start pushing everybody who writes a vampire book down that lane. And then at some point, people will have enough of vampires. And now what happens? Oh, you've been writing vampire, vampire, vampire. And now eh, we don't like vampires anymore. So you have to be able to be able to change. You have to be able to see what's coming up. As a publishing house, you have to be able to see what are the trends coming up? What are people getting interested in? and then be able to see what stories will fit into that thing. Oh, if someone comes to you with a story that is completely unique, you gotta be able to say, but will it catch fire? You know, because there's a lot of things that are unique, but they, but they won't interest anybody, you know? Right. So you gotta say, is it unique enough that people will, that people will see it and want to know about it? Right. Well, I mean, you've mentioned, you know, being ahead of the market and stuff like that. So how does, Rock Hill, you know, publishing kind of inquire about what's going to, you know, be coming up. I don't know if it's like three months or a year out or whatever, you know, how does Rock Hill kind of read the market on what's going to be popular, you know, next year or whatever, when they're taking their submissions? You have to read a lot yourself. <laughs> you yeah. have to find the time and actually read so that you, um, because art, artistry and the, the way our brains work, uh, we are able to pick up patterns. So when we read a lot, we see where things are going, what it's leading to. And I read a lot. Ask James. You read a whole a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I read I the market a lot. I read all the fantasy and the sci-fi uh, books that are 
you know, are in now so that I can see what it's leading to. So that when those books arrive on our desk, we can say, ah, this is going to be good because this is where the market is going. And I do it by watching the news and watching public opinion. I, okay. I, I see what's going on in the news and not just local news, national news, international news. You got to have a broad spectrum of where people are and where and what people are thinking about. Like I said, sometimes these same days that you got to see what what we used to call fads. I don't know, Amy, you're kind of young. I don't know if you- Oh, trends, like fads. trends, yeah. Now, now they're trends, yes, now it. they're trends. <laughs> so, uh, but that's the thing that you find out for the news. You see what people are interested in, interested in and what they are, and where those things are going. And see, as a sci-fi writer, I kind of like know this type of uh, world because that's what sci-fi is. You see what's happening now and you see what the new developments are or the new um, technologies are. You try to imagine where that would be in the future or how that became, you know, so you can go backwards or forwards in time in sci-fi. And as because I'm trained in that type of writing, it allows me to see what's happening now. Like when COVID started and they would say, well, we're going to close down for two weeks and we're going to see, you know, and then we're going to crush this thing and everybody. And when that happened, I said, this is not going to work because it's going to take longer than two weeks. If you start telling people we're just going to close down for two weeks and see where we're at, you're not going to be further enough down the road. If they would have came out and say, look, we're closing down for two months, three months, everybody is going and going to have to come. They probably could have got a better handle on the, on the situation. So if you look back to the Spanish flu in 1918, it went away. They 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 had the same thing happen because it's a disease. It's the same. It's the same thing that's happening now. It's happened then, and will happen again. But you have to look at it. How long did it actually take to get that thing under control? And they did. They got it under control in a couple of months, but it took a couple of months. And then they said, "Oh, we got it under control. Everybody's fine." And then it came back again the next year, even worse because of the fact that people went back out and started socializing again and the disease wasn't really gone. And so it became even worse and even more people died. So they would have came out at the beginning and looked at the trend and looked back in history and said, we got to do at least three months and then we'll see where we're at. They probably could have got this thing under control a lot faster. And in the country that did do that, they, they did get it under control a lot faster because they just said, we're locking everybody down and no one's going out and we're going to wait until this thing is really down and over and then we'll come back out. Then you're free to, to travel around. And it, and it worked in some country where they were able to do that. America is very much different because we have our freedoms. We love <laughs> yeah. to tell everybody. Yeah. <laughs> We're a little bit different in that, but I, I mean, speaking of COVID and, you know, we, we did have our own like kind of lockdown and stuff. I know that a lot more authors have kind of come about and have started, you know, sending their or submitting their books to publishers or self-publishing or whatever. So like, what is the current, you know, genre trend at the moment since COVID? I feel like it has to be, it's probably going to be more like, I don't know, sci-fi and health zombie apocalypse kind of array. Like, probably. I I see it as that, and I also see it as more 
genetics because people are really interested in how diseases progress, how these things work out. And so I see a whole lot more genetics. There was a, a story that just came out in the news that they want to now build a genetic bank on the moon to store our DNA, not only human DNA, but of course everybody's DNA. Now we have a genetic bank built in some mountain somewhere up in the Alaska or someplace cold, right? That they store in uh, plants, seeds and things like that. Norway. We have seed banks. I think yeah. it's Norway. I think it's Norway, yeah. And um, so that's an idea that had been around before that in case anything really bad happens, we'll be able to repopulate the plant. Now they're thinking, hey, not only do we need to do, because seeds are easy to store, but not only do we need to do plants, but we also need to do animals and people. And that's what I wrote about in Pegasus 30 years ago. Wow. So Pegasus, a journey. Ahead of the time, ahead of the time. Yes. So Pegasus, a journey to New Eden, talks about going to another planet and, and colonizing another planet. But it also talked about how do you do this and how do you get there and what do you bring with you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the idea of doing this is because what happens if something happens on the earth? What, what, what would you imagine? We're not ready for extinction. And that's the thing about human beings. We always think we have a way out. Right. Yeah. That's true. yeah, we do, we do. Athena, what do you think the, the trend is or what's the trend that you're currently reading that you think is gonna be really big for publishers? Um, I see a lot of, uh, um, in fantasy, it's a lot of uh, mild witchcraft, good witches, you know, uh, okay. things like that. Um, spells, people love spells. They love the creation of uh, elemental control and, you know, being able to call the storm and... Uh, calm the seas and all those kind of things it's because it's things we can't really do so we imagine we fantasize about them and in science fiction is a lot of uh, planetary travel that is what we are fascinated with right now is traveling to other planets terraforming them um, and the battle between, is it fair on the other planet? If we take our own um, animal and plant life to go and populate those uh, planets now, um, what if there are other living creatures there? Is it fair on them for us to overtake them? Because they'll probably become extinct. Uh, but the thing is also by going to such foreign uh, planets, we don't know if we'll become extinct. Those things might be dangerous to us. It could be an, a bacteria. Um, just a pollen in the air could kill us on another planet. So, yeah, so it's those battles that we're looking at and we are trying to imagine what the outcome of such uh, things would be. Athena, you're a romance writer. Where do you see romance going in the future? Well, I've realized one thing, the romance that I wanted to write 20 and 30 years ago does not fly very well in uh, this day and age because trends change. Things that we thought were romantic back then, they are not 
right now. Uh, the way men and women or anybody communicates with each other and how we have relationships are not the same in the olden days. Once upon a time, there used to be a, a courting bench in the front room for your um, intended to come and sit with you. Nowadays, it's not like that. Everybody's free to come and go as uh, uh, we do. It's a modern uh, life and women have liberties and freedoms that we didn't have 30, 40 uh, years ago. So things have changed a lot. So we have to write the stories of today, you know? So um, I'm not quite there yet. The ones that I wrote are fairly removed. They were still a lot, but I realized that where we are as a, a civilization, you know, in the West, um, women have gained a lot of ground, thankfully, you know, so we have to write those stories of today. I love it. And your ability to change because you can, you know, Raquel as a publisher, but then you as a writer has gained the ability to change with the times and kind of bring in modern or futuristic things that you can see the trends are going for, which I absolutely love. I hate that this conversation has, has to end because I just feel like me and Athena could go on and on about this, but it has to end at some point, you guys. But yeah. make sure that you join Readers and Writers next Tuesday night because we're talking about authorship and the whole business aspect of being a writer. Most people don't really see of being an author as being a business or your own business owner, but you really are. You're an authorpreneur as people have gained to put it. So make sure you tune in next Tuesday to Readers and Writers to learn all about how you can become an authorpreneur.